Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word program on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that this is stolen land, sovereignty has never been ceded, and a treaty has never been signed. On Saturday afternoon I was fortunate to get to the launch of Neil Morris's new single, Australia Does Not Exist, at Northside Records, just around the corner from our 3CR studios here in Fitzroy. Neil is a Yorta Yorta poet and musician based on Kulin land, he performs under the name of Dreaming Now and had the place jumping on Saturday. I have the vinyl right here, so I'll give it a spin in just a moment. Also in today's show, I'll be chatting with young writer, musician and filmmaker Alara Briggs-Patterson, as well as Laniuk, phoning in to chat from a fair bit west of here. So stay tuned. This is 3CR Community Radio. Australia. To the base, stepped upon sacred sands, didn't recognize there was governance at hand. Laws and conditions not based upon demands. Tribes, clans, and families in line with sacred chants. Songlines, stories, blessing, woman, child, man. Stars, constellations, formulating plants. Bountiful planes of medicinal plants. Spouse beyond the physical, beating our dents. None of this dreaming, unfolded by chance. But they didn't see this majesty right before their eyes. Liberal us the savages and plotted out the Mars took our star formations to represent their plot. Now realize the natural essence brought in through those knots. Busy painting laws to sidestep our rights. Deny our very ways to be were out of sight, out of mind. Spotted laws this landscape never defined in the previous 60,000 plus years of time. That said, Australia still a scene of crime when they push aside the matters and it's blinded in the blind. Take that land, take it for our own Those who take a stand will kneel before the throne Kneel before the crown Hands on the ground and we'll take all the kids Hush, don't make a sound, nothing but savages We'll show them how they're supposed to live And if they don't assimilate, I guess we'll have to demonstrate Our superiority in every single way And remind them how we've conquered them every single day And what better way to do this than to give this land a name Australia, yeah, the great land that was claimed Man, it ain't gonna work Watch us grow like flowers If we come from the dirt The earth runs deep Our peep came just to reframe The pictures of the past So my people know where we came from We've been here all along See, Australia don't exist Just another damn myth Australia does not exist What they be selling is myth Australia does not exist But they keep on trying to tell them Australia 
to evade the true identity of this land. It is built on legislations and false formations without true jurisdiction propagated through mass manipulation of populations and resources, genocidal policy enforcers. Born in blood of our ancestors, massacres. But still sacred spirit here. Breathe in the air, true essence delivered from our mother's womb and hands. This always was countless indigenous nations. None of which are called Australia. That was Dreaming Now with their new 7-inch vinyl release of the song Australia Does Not Exist. You're listening to The Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. Paranguru of the Eora was the essence of resistance. Second wife to Benelong, she bore more than children. She was proud, headstrong, calculated and persistent. She did not fall for the illusion of white ascendance. She defied it, fought it, cut throat, tore at it, conspired with the ancestors and reminded the children, beware the sweet poison in white man's hand. Remember your people, take care of your land. She ripped and tugged at European dresses, refused red wine, and demanded resistance. Traganini of the Palawa possessed the intelligence of subtle defiance, having witnessed the ways of white man's violence, death, destruction, and disease, lynching, raping, murdering. She knew the tactics of war, not always with spears, and attempted to compromise to the colonial ears. Negotiations were met with lies and deceit. Her people were dying by foreign disease. She took to the bush with a gun in hand and became an outlaw to the white man, carried her spirit to the Kulin nations and fought for her people's emancipation. My great Kungarakanwechi Alien Double embodied resilience, a paperback woman, lean and pensive. Her family and tribe were killed by rat poison. When her husband died, the state took her children. She worked for white families, and when the chores were done, she walked to the township with scraps for her sons. I see her hands holding theirs over walls and through fences, telling them stories of our people's creation. Now there's apartments from oceans to high ground attempting to disguise the Carlin compound. When the colony decides that the story is his, the contribution of our women become whitewashed myths. I imagine the nights our women lay awake, searching the stars, and now I'm doing the same. When I watch the skies, I'm holding their gaze. When I breathe in the gum, I carry their names. I hear them singing on the arrival of rain, their strength emblazoned in my DNA. That was the voice of Laniuk, Ladakia, Kunyarakan, and Gurunji poet who recently hosted an event called Kin, Middle Fingers Up, at the Kuri Heritage Trust. I spoke with Lani a short time ago from Adelaide. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We've just been listening to uh, Neil Morris's uh, single, Australia Does Not Exist. I mean, I love that track. <laughs> I desperately love that track because it's something that, you know, um, Aboriginal people have been saying in many forms for a while now, but it's a concept that people really struggle to come to terms with is, you know, the idea of Australia as a, as a nation state being an, an illegitimate government um, and sort of built around us. And we're led to believe 
um, in its strength and led to believe in its claims of its land, but it was created to serve very a very select group of people and to erase Aboriginal people. So I have a lot of love for Dreaming Now and I've got a lot of love for that track because it speaks a lot of truth. Um, and I think that, you know, arts, as always, has been at the forefront of speaking that truth. And that's why the arts are so important and so integral and so important that it's well-funded. Funding's a big issue, isn't it? Because it's massive, yeah. Funding can be used as a, as a means of control. Yes, definitely. And, you know, there are opportunities to self-fund, but when, you know, your pathways are restricted, when certain demographics, you know, opportunities and pathways to self-funding is, is, you know, difficult or impaired, you know, having that funding within the arts world is so crucial to make sure that people who often don't have access to those platforms or access to that money can still have their voices heard. Melbourne has such a incredible scene and art space because of that funding other states i think are really lagging behind so it's a massive it's a massive thing to have spaces and venues um funded so that we have opportunities to put our put our messages out there what would that space look like in an ideal world for you the art space um but i would like to see more aboriginal people involved in spoken word i would like to see more disabled people on the stages for spoken word events, you know, to, I think that's a massive part of um, a massive thing that I think the arts world really needs to, to tackle at the moment is making sure that spaces are not only wheelchair accessible but accessible for people um, who have hearing impairments, accessible for people who struggle with overwhelming spaces. I attended an event recently that had a room, um, it was like, you know, lots of loud music and lots of strobe lighting and they had a room separate where people could go and relax and have a quiet moment. And, you know, for those of us that have anxiety, for those of us, you know, um, that are on you know, the spectrum, to be able to have a space to go, quiet space, to sort of recuperate, I think is really important. Um, I think there are a lot of radical steps that we need to take and, you know, steps that we can't even possibly envision at this point in time. Accessibility shouldn't be seen as a problem. It's about opening up a space and making sure that everyone has a seat. Speaking of ideal worlds, what would a treaty look like to you? That's an, you know what, it's an, it's an interesting, somewhat maybe touchy topic, and I imagine every Aboriginal person is going to have something different to say. I don't really believe that treaty is the solution. I mean, if we look globally, um, particularly, you know, we can use the, the US as an example, you know, treaties are written and then treaties are broken. It doesn't mean anything if there isn't, I think, an external force holding the colonial government to account. Um, when that power dynamic exists and, say, the Australian government were to write up a treaty, who is making sure that, that tre the treaty is being met? When we have this, this disparity in power and control, they're making, you know, their own rules and they break them whenever they need to. Having, you know, it, it is symbolic it can lead to a lot more negotiation i think it's an important step step i definitely do not think it, that it's a solution and ultimately aboriginal people require self-governance and self-determination um and you know the government should just pay the rent really and <laughs> relinquish some control and give aboriginal people the ability to enact our sovereignty and live our sovereign lives and i suppose you know when we talk about 
having the population of this continent backing Aboriginal people so that that change can really happen. I think that's where the arts comes in. And I really think that that's where the shift is going to be because, you know, Aboriginal people making up 3%, even if every Aboriginal person was to come together, even if every Aboriginal person was to, you know, agree on one collective movement, which is not going to happen, you know, we still only make up 3% of the population. We need settlers to get behind us and to, and to show up and to turn up and to do some work and to do some internal work, to do some internal decolonizing. And I'm hoping that that's where the arts can come and facilitate that decolonization of the self and the decolonization of the community. And hopefully, eventually, we can get to decolonizing the governance of this continent. When I talk to older people, they, they seem to have this sense of fatality about it, that it hasn't happened yet, so is it ever going to, and what's the point? But people need to think that they're only part of yep. a great journey. Yeah, I don't think that my physical self will be able to see the reality that I want, but I know that it will come eventually. The future generations will, will make it happen with the work that we are doing now, with the work that you know, my ancestors have already done. I am only building upon a platform and a movement and an understanding that was already there when I came into existence. And as we build and develop this through arts, through politics, through surviving and thriving, I know that that future will come in time. Do you think social media and that sort of, you know, connective technology has really helped push this movement? Definitely. Um, I used to be really anti-social media. I was like, oh, you know, I want to connect with people, you know, face-to-face -face together. But there are so many people who can't enter those spaces. Again, if we're talking about accessibility, you know, people who aren't in a position to make certain events, um, social media really allows them to engage with those movements um, and also to connect people across the continent. Um, also, downloading the Instagram app is free, whereas if I wanted to have a larger platform, if I wanted to create something for TV, if I wanted to try and communicate with people through billboards, you know, that takes money, that takes time, resources that I do not have. And every day I'm meeting more and more artists, even just like typing in the hashtag search decolonize, and I'm able to interact with people globally who are invested in similar politics to myself. That's massive, that's unheard of. You know, the generations before us didn't have that ability to organise. I recently read an article by an Australian poet who, uh, to paraphrase slightly, said that poetry should work on the page before the stage for it to be considered serious or real poetry. Brenda, don't get me started. That is just... So the, the demographics that are, you know, overworked, underpaid, under-resourced, not well-connected, you know, poetry can be such a powerful tool of sharing ourselves with the world. Yeah, there's something very powerful about performance, something very intimate. You know, sometimes I get off that stage and I'm approached by someone who really connected with that, with my poem. And I, I don't get that from a journal. I don't get to have those conversations and the, 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 ability, the, the opportunity for someone to share a story in response to my story. That's really powerful. I think spoken word is a really valuable art form. What's up, listeners? This is Johnny Mac here. Just reminding everybody to tune in to 3CR at 11am each day from Monday, July the 8th to Friday, July the 12th for our special Beyond the Bars broadcast during NADOC. 
Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. So make sure to listen in and support our brothers and sisters until they're home again. Strong connections with these ancient lands, descending bloodlines for centuries. Mussels, fish, birds, berries, yams, our people used to feast. Cooking in old ovens are under great trees, who've watched our life cycles custodial in style, on the Dangala riverbanks, crystal clear, clean, free. From carp, that muddy bastard. He was never invited. Surveyors marking acres and acres, missionaries and Jesus, with religious takeover, crown sort of saying, this land is free for the taking, so take it. But first, he needs his irrigation systems and the mass scare of the blacks here, assimilation schemes devised to divide and dismantle the song lines while our forefathers died on frontier lines. We are survivors, thanks to our ancestors, reviving our song lines. With fingers in the dirt To decipher tribal incantation From files taken to record a dying race within an archive Of a thousand last kings and natives' true trepidation All the while wearing my soul on my sleeve Peace, when they wonder about my colour, tell them Listen with your ears, it's under my skin, and listen with your heart. I'm not here on a whim, it's flowing through my arteries from my crown to my feet in connection with country. I'm seeing faces in the leaves of the trees, from the scars on my soul to the hope on repeat, from my toes in the mud to the tears my eyes weep. We are survivors, thanks to our ancestors, reviving our song lines with fingers in the dirt. Soon we'll be thriving because we are our ancestors. We're dancing our song lines with spiritual self-worth. Together, share Mother Earth, we stand. She always was, always will be Aboriginal land. In the past, in the present, in the future, let's put our heads down, enjoy some humour. Let's work hard to protect our mother. Let's work hard to protect our culture and most important, let's work hard to protect Dorma Nini Yalka's distant future.
You are listening to The Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. The poem we just heard there was by Yorta Yorta artist Alara Briggs-Patterson. Alara usually performs her spoken word with her instrument of choice, the mighty double bass, but she joins us sans instrument today in the studio. Welcome. No worries. Dorma Niniyelka. Dorma Niniyelka is in Yorta Yorta, the words for my dear child. So... Um, it's for let's take care of this place for uh, our children, for the next generation, and the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. The theme of NADOC week this week is voice, treaty, and truth. What role do you think that artists play? Well, there is a quote. I I probably will get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But Uncle Richard um, Franklin quotes, you know, if if you're an artist, you have a voice, and, and with voice comes responsibility, and so I think as artists, if we've got something to say, we have the responsibility to say it, you know, call out racism and, and to call out um, injustices on, on other humans and, and animals as well and on, on our environment. And those words, when you're writing your words, where are they coming from? <laughs> That's a good question. Basically, when I wrote the words, they were coming from really frustrated um, and emotional, anxious places. You know, who am I? Why are we here? What, what are we doing here? Why are people saying to me, where's your colour? Why is it so hard to go and find our, our histories in the archives? All these different sorts of things were running through my mind at the time that I wrote um, that piece, Rekindled Systems. And for the other song I do, uh, Walla is Life, that comes from a severe urgency of, of what is happening to our planet and, and why are big corporations, our governments, allowing big mining companies and, and things like this to threaten our water. Um, but what what is more disturbing to me is the fact that people, like regular people like you and I, are are voting, well, not me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but people out there, <laughs> hopefully not you, <laughs> um, are voting for these people who are in power. And it's like, well, the, the government reflects the population. So says to me, we've got some big work to do in our communities. Do you think we've lost connection with, with the land? Well, I haven't. <laughs> um, but I know... Well, I think that many people have. For me, I, I see a lot of people who are still like super extremely connected to country, to the land, but it doesn't translate when, it come, when we come into society. So we might be really connected to country, you know, go out and, and, and maybe know the plants or know certain places um, that have special significance to us. But when we go back to the cities or um, regional areas, you know, wherever we live, are the things we're doing taking care of that place? Because I, I know I'm burning a lot of fossil fuels at home and we're, we're all hypocrites, right? Or like we're all innately as humans connected to country. We can't exist without it. We walk on it every single day when, and people aren't realising that they're actually connecting with it every single moment. But it's our actions, I think, that, and our mindfulness of how connected actually are we. How do you get back to it? Um, yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> I, I try and appreciate it 
wherever I am, wherever it is, even if it's just watching a sunset or getting up early and feeling the cool morning air, um, being in water. So like, even though a shower, for example, isn't being in nature, but the, the feeling of, of the water on our bodies, I think for me is, is a really an elevating moment. You're working on a documentary. Yes, I've heard. I am. <laughs> What's it called? It's called Beautiful Sunshine. It's about my story connecting with my grandfather, Don Briggs, um, my mum's father. He lives in Shep, Shepparton, Victoria, and I didn't really get to know him growing up. No fault of my mother's, but um, so complexities that a lot of us face in Indigenous communities. So when I was about 16, 17, I, I started saying to myself, you know, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm Aboriginal. I always tick that box on the school school forms and everything. And, and yeah, mum always taught me to be proud, so I'm proud of who I am. But I didn't really know a lot about the history or how I was connected to community. I'd meet people at different events and stuff and they would be like, oh, yeah, we're cousins. And I'd be like, uh, but how? <laughs> <laughs> so things like that. And I thought, well... I don't have integrity right now and for me to feel um, whole and um, and truly myself, I needed to go through the journey. And so for me, the journey of connecting with my grandfather, I wanted to um, document that um, because I know that I'm not the only one who's felt that way. And I wanted to share the beauty, um, the anxiety, the the humbleness of our elders and and share that via via film. It began by asking what Yoda Yoda native title is. And I was like, what what is that? <laughs> and and why were our people told we don't exist when we're both standing here? Um, so that you know, that was happening twenty five years ago in my lifetime. <laughs> I was yeah. saying like politicians and um, white Australians were saying, you know, you don't exist. Yeah, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, I need to learn this history and understand how it affects me in today's day and age because I know that there was amendments to the native title um, so that the Adani mind could be pushed mm. through faster. And so for me, I was connecting up all these things um, like the, the original native title and the new one and also looking at it saying, like, well, it doesn't even give us our land back. <laughs> It's just what a piece of paper saying, yes, this is your land. Like, like you were you were here first. And what, a, a, a little bit of money? Like money can give us our land back? No, I want for my people land rights, full proper sovereignty, governance over our country, full 100% management over water. Like I was reading only 4% of the water, of the rain that falls into the Mari River, so the Dongala um is like 4% reaches the Murray Mouth. And so that's 96% of the water that falls from the sky into our rivers are taken in and, and used in irrigation and agriculture. Fish are dying and farmers are saying, drought, drought. It's like, well, no, it's not a drought. You've just used all the water. And I mean, like, it's unheard of a million fish dying on the Darling River, on the Barker. Indigenous people hold 
the answers for things like the climate crisis. Um, and we know how to care for country and to exist sustainably on the places that we have lived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In Australia and across the world, we've seen in the last couple of hundred years destruction and envir- like just severe environmental damage. So this documentary is in production? Yes. At the moment? Yes. How far away from finishing? I'm hoping that this summer I'll be premiering it. And how's funding going for that? It's a lot it costs a lot of money to make a movie. It is a lot of money. <laughs> so much money. If anybody out there who's listening wants to donate like, you know, five bucks or ten bucks or five thousand bucks or ten thousand bucks, please do. Um, you can jump on the website www.beautifulsunshine.co.com and and check it out. You can watch the trailer. You can read about me. You can you can donate online, and I would be so very grateful for any extra support. Are you hoping it will inspire other people to reach out and find their family? Yeah, yeah, I am. I really hope that um, we can be be more connected because I grew up not really connected to um, the indigenous side of my family even though I was brought up by my mum, who's Yorta Yorta. You know, we had, we had a little bit here and there, but I, yeah, I mean, for an example, is that even even the super strong, amazing um, Wurundjeri like Annie Mandy Nicholson was telling me, or she was telling a whole group, I, I was just listening, <laughs> but she was telling us about um, one of the nieces that was born and that she's the first child in their family group um, since really the time of colonisation that this child is encapsulated in culture and language. So that's what our elders and and our mob's been doing over the past few generations is making sure that that hasn't been lost and still practising it. But the children, our, our next generation, they are so lucky because they get to have this culture and, and language and things that a lot of us haven't got to grow up with. So I hope, of course, if, if you don't know your family, how you, you know, it's the starting point for cultural connection, knowing your family and knowing your family history, knowing where you come from. And I hope that that is something that everybody can take inspiration from, not even necessarily Indigenous people, but Everybody can learn something about themselves and about their family by understanding where they come from. I hope it brings all of us together more because it definitely feels like there's still segregation sometimes. It's just, you know, so frustrating. I was talking the other day about learning my language and, you know, saying, yeah, I know a few words and this and that. And someone else piped up and was sort of saying, oh, do you have Indigenous heritage? And I was like, was that not obvious? I was just talking about my traditional language. So the the constant stereotyping of what an Aboriginal person looks like, how they talk, how they walk, how they look, you know, all these stereotypes are still so ingrained in almost every white person I meet. Like, really, the majority, like, there's some deadly white people. 
some deadly non-Indigenous people, but most of the people out there are confused when I say I'm I'm Indigenous, I'm Kuri. They say, oh, but you don't look Aboriginal. It's like, well, what does an Aboriginal look like after 230 years of colonisation, assimilation, genocide and, and the rest? So it's like, can you fellas stop asking those stupid questions? That's the truth. And really, it, it's a, such a systemic issue. It's like, yeah, may, maybe you haven't been exposed to Indigenous people or maybe you haven't been exposed to people of colour and that may not necessarily be your fault, but it's a systemic issue. And I just encourage anybody who has any of these sorts of conversations or who has thought that um, to go and do some research and, and just use your common sense, like use your brain, think before you speak. And I think the the theme, NADOC, with Voice Treaty and Truth is that truth isn't, you know, it's not just about us mob telling the truth here. It's about all of us dropping our egos, leaving it at the door and hearing it for what's probably going to feel like the first time for many people is, is actually hearing without going forward and, and saying, you know, but, but, but I have an Aboriginal friend or I visited Central Australia once and got immersed in their culture and it's like, no, you just need to listen. Just listen to us right now. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What you need is we got the hell. Origin Energy, who claim that they are good energy, have plans to frack in the NT like this month or next month and so Seed Mob, Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network have been running an amazing campaign and we've been meeting outside Origin offices all around the country, um, handing out flyers to their staff and their customers, letting everybody know what's going on, that you know this good energy company plans to frack the NT and the fracking would actually be creating more emissions than the Adani mine and groups in the NT, Indigenous groups are saying no, they don't want fracking. Um, and so there was a film made and that documentary is called Water is Life and I've just been just so inspired by their hard work. They're, you know, on the ground every day surveying community members, like finding out what people know and, and relaying on um, proper information, real true information because communities are often not given free prone informed consent and for me this this song was really to say actually you know we, we all gotta make sure we protect our country and and I yeah I tell it from my perspective as a yorta yorta woman I'm, I'm not going to tell their stories but I can tell my own.
And so for me, this is about the sacredness of water and what it means. Well, thank you very much for coming along today. Thank you so much. I hope I haven't talked your ears off. Falls from sky, rain beginning of life, like our kinship ties. In Mother Earth's eyes, river banks flow wide, fingerlings swim wild, making Mother Moon smile. Hasn't rained in a while. Walla is blood, Walla gives flood, Walla is life. Gotta get law right. Limitless undercurrents, pushing, pulling, pumping, gliding, sliding, mulling, trickles from the nipples of sacred springs, it's an animal thing. Flows after the rain, the river flows 